0: Welcome to Baseball America's Arizona Fall League Podcast, sponsored by Bowman. Bowman, the first place to find the game's future stars. Visit tops.com for the latest Bowman product news. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another Baseball America Podcast presented by Bowman. This is an Arizona Fall League Podcast edition. I'm Josh Norris, and I'm here with Kyle Glazer, who just returned from the Arizona Fall League a couple days ago. So Kyle, just... How was your first Arizona Fall League experience as someone covering it rather than someone who paid to get in? It?
1: it was actually really cool. It was really interesting to see all the different uh, franchises because when you're a student in the area, you just go to whatever stadium nearby, you see the same team four or five times over. This was kind of cool, really getting a feel for all the different teams, all the different stadiums, the talent levels. And it was interesting to see, I think we all assume all these guys are all great prospects, and they are, but it's even at even at the fall league level, it's really clear to see where guys are in their development stages and just having the breadth of number of players you get to see from being there in a reporting standpoint going to all the different games and all the different stadiums I thought that was much
0: clearer than maybe as someone who goes to three or four games that just happen to be at their local stadium. Right, we should note here that Kyle is, a, is like Dustin Pedroia, uh, an Arizona State alum so he was around the Arizona Fall League as, a, as an undergraduate uh, out there So he'd been too many games before, but just never with a credential around his neck. Exactly. So I guess the easy question is, which players stood out to you in the week or so that you were out there? You know, I still keep coming back to Ian Happ of the Cubs, you know, a Cubs hitter who can hit, go
1: figure, right? Um, He was a guy that, to me, was so good from both sides of the plate. That's so rare to see. Most switch hitters, you can pretty clearly see... What's his natural side? What's his side he's got to work on? With Hap, his swing from both sides was so strong, so smooth, so powerful, with such impact. It was really fun to watch in batting practice and in the games. I mean, it was really something that, you know, in my eyes, Ian Hap was a good prospect before this. You know, we had him, I believe, as a top 100 guy, first rounder a year ago. In my eyes, he's now a great prospect. This is a guy who has an ability to hit... I mean, I really truly believe, you know, 30 doubles, 20 homers, while providing great switch hitting from both sides of the plate. And I saw him play second base, and he looked pretty solid. You know, he's a guy people have talked about as, "Ah, I don't know if he's going to stay or play in the outfield. With the offense he provides and the defense is suitable, I came away thinking he can stick there.
0: So the question then is, does he stick there as a Chicago Cub? I mean... You know, it's funny. The more I watch him, I'm like, see, switch hitter who can hit
1: from both sides, plays a good second base, can probably shift to the outfield when need be. Kind of came back to Ben Zobrist, <laughs> who is currently there. I, I You know, it's going to be tricky. I think that if the Cubs decide to move him, because you're right, there is a lot of room, they can get something really, really, really good for him. Not just... He's no longer, in my mind, a moderately good prospect. I mean, what I saw was, was simply fantastic. And the other side of it, too, was... In the half year from the time I saw him back in the Cal Carolina All-Star Game, he's gotten so much bigger and stronger. That was the other thing that jumped out to me. When I saw him even in June, you know he wasn't that big. It was funny. I remember reading some of the reports talking about his natural strength, and I didn't see it. It just he looked thin. It wasn't built yet. But then you go back and see him in Arizona. The shoulders are broader. The arms are, must, are are bigger. I mean, everything was just, this is a guy who's getting bigger, getting stronger, improving as a hitter. You see the trend up. Keep in mind, he's a year out of college. He's a 2015 draft, already raking in A, getting bigger and stronger, playing a good second base, and again, even at the major league level, a lot of switch hitters have a dominant side. It's pretty rare to find a guy who can really, truly hit effectively from both sides. And you look at Ian Happ, whether it's a numbers standpoint, whether it's a swing mechanic standpoint, he appears to be one of the select few who can.
0: Yeah, so you saw, obviously, the Mesa Club, which I somehow missed in a week down there. Um, who else stuck out to you on Mesa? I know they had Eloy Jimenez, um, uh, Greg Allen with the Indians, Bradley Zimmer, uh, yeah. Anthony Alford too. You know, Eloy was, had the guy
1: that had that proverbial sound off the bat in BP, and I first noticed it in the Futures game batting practice in San Diego, it was the first time I'd ever seen him live. Just watch him step to the plate, the swing, everything, you're like, okay, this guy's different. And then seeing him in BP in Arizona, and keep in mind, I'm not a guy who puts a whole lot of stock into BP. I know some people who watch baseball and try and evaluate do. I To me, game swings are what matters, but he's a guy you just can't ignore. The sound off the bat, how quick the ball jumps off his bat to all fields. Unfortunately, the game I was at, he got pulled after two at-bats and I never saw him again. And I couldn't figure, find out why that was, but you know, that's going to open your eyes, to be completely honest. Um, the only other guy that really stopped me on Mesa was a guy that maybe isn't a, a prospect in, in the baseball America sense. You know, Alfred didn't do much. Allen didn't do a whole lot. Uh, but I've seen Allen better. Uh, uh, Kerstad, the K-J-E-R-S-E-A-T. yeah. Uh, with with yeah. It's a very weird swing. It's kind of down here. You know, it he, starts... he, he demonstrates for the podcast listeners. Sorry, it, it's, <laughs> just Google it. You'll see what I mean. I, I can't really describe it. <laughs> but... It works. The bat head gets to the ball very quickly. It's, it's big and strong. It goes all over the field. He, to me, is just one of those guys that no one's ever going to look at him and say, ooh, prospect. But, guy can hit. And the guy's got a good build. And you know what? Guys like that tend to find their way to the majors. Just a guy in the back of my head I'm going to keep in mind. So let's move outside of Mesa. Who else did you like? Kristen Stewart. You know, we talk about guys with impact bats. And we saw the numbers he put up this year, 30 home runs. Again, just his ability to drive the ball. He hit a ball 415 feet at Salt River that was basically to the part of the park that's 417 feet. Hit it off essentially the top of the wall. But it was just a rocket, flew around the bases. And then his next at bat, he doubled again, but this time it was a hard liner he pulled into right. So you saw the ability to both generate loft on the ball and drive it with power and the ability to really pull it with authority on the line. And to me, just given his profile and what he did over the course of the season and what he showed to me in the Fall League, this is a guy who, again, I thought was a good prospect. Now I think of him more in higher terms, just his ability to potentially be a middle-of-the-order, impact, left-handed bat. You know, I know the defense, there's mixed reviews on, but when you have a bat like that from the left side, and he's a great athlete who can run, who can throw, he can do a lot of things, to me, you know, he's a guy that maybe was an outside top fifty prospect. To now, in my mind, he's an inside top fifty prospect.
0: And then you mentioned before before we got on air, you liked a Glaber Torres as well from the Scottsdale Club.
1: You know, it's interesting. um Glaber also is the guy you hear about. I happened to be there during the week when he went absolutely insane. You know, everything was falling uh, for him. What I really liked about it is just the quality of his swings combined with the quality of his at bats. A lot of times with you know, it, it might be an unfair, unfair stereotype, but the scouts talk about it openly. Kind of the, the young, raw, Latin American middle infielders who will show you a good swing path but maybe don't have the approach or, you know, sometimes have the approach but not the great swing path. I mean, it's hard to see a lot of 21-year-olds, especially uh, who don't have, you know, college coaching or whatever, come out and do that, and he did. I mean, this was a guy who didn't swing up balls outside the strike zone too often. And when he did get his pitch to hit, he nailed it to all fields. I saw him, you know, single to left, single to middle, single to right. And even the balls, he didn't strike all that well. His hand and wrist strength was enough to get it to the outfield. And there were times he also was able to beat out plays, you know, down the line to first, busting his tail. To me, this is a guy who is going to find ways to get on base. You know, find a way to, you know, when he puts the ball in play, get on base more often than not. Well, in baseball series, he's not going to go, on, you know, 500, but you get the point. And he played a great defense. I actually, saw on playing second base, and he was a stud. And then you know what he can do at short. You know, it was interesting, even being at the World Series uh, last month. Humble brag. <laughs> Where I'm going with it, though, is people were talking to Joe Madden in the press conference about you know Errolis Chapman, and you know, keep in mind as Chapman. Got the Cubs, you know, to the World Series was a huge part of it. That's the trade you make every day of the year because the entire point is win the World Series. And even Joe is like, yeah, man, you know, Glaber's really, really good. I mean, they were even still talking about inside the Cubs organization that they had to get Chapman, getting Chapman worked. Like, it was it was everything they could have hoped for. And they're still like, yeah, but, man, Glaber's Gleyber, going to bother them in the back of their minds for the next 20 years. And you hear that and you go, okay... They clearly think this is genuinely going to be a superstar. Then you see the performance he puts out against the top prospects, most of whom are all way more advanced than he is from a level standpoint. And it's like, okay, you see it. So for me, you know, Ian Happ, Kristen Stewart, Gleyber Torres, we all knew they were really good prospects. It's not breaking news to anybody. But to me, they elevated themselves
0: even more in my eyes after this week. So let's address the Gator in the room. How did you think of
1: Tim
0: Tebow?
1: Really nice guy. I would love to go on his workout plan. I think that he is putting in the work ethic, and it's pretty clear his teammates do like him and respect him.
0: Uh,
1: He can turn on an inside pitch, and that's that's something we saw him do uh, the second game with Scottsdale, which, you know, is a credit to him. Did you see him get a hit? Yeah, double off the wall in Scottsdale. um, Excuse me, in Peoria. But it's pretty clear what the scouting report is, which is hard in the way and you can't touch it. And that's pretty much true. I think what maybe surprised me even more was the outfield play in the negative sense. I think we all are talking about, when people have been talking about Tim Tebow and you know, who he is and what he can do. It's been BP videos. It's been his batting practice, you know, swings on on Twitter and discussions of raw power. Um, really, it's in the outfield that things are, are a problem. And, you know, yes, it's his first time, you know, playing, you know, in outfield for, you know, 10-plus years, but there's a basic level of things you have to be able to do that he just doesn't do, whether we're talking about reads on the ball, breaks on the ball, putting his glove up, letting the ball falling right behind it, um, being unable to make plays, especially as he sprints toward the line. I mean, you know, the guy is a world-class athlete, but we've talked about athleticism this is probably what gets you the least in baseball. You have to be have skills, translating that athleticism into skills, and it's pretty clear that those are non-existent in the outfield and you're talking about playing for a national league club so it's like when you have a very clear hole in your swing that you can't do anything about and you can't play you know we talk about guys being fringe average defenders average i mean we're we're talking about if you could if you could go below 20 defensively that's where he's at so if you're not going to hit and you're not going to play defense you don't have a path and that's if you're a 20 year old they so, didn't take in the account, the other stuff. I mean, he's, you know, the bat's getting a little better. When I saw his walk-off hit against Scottsdale, his fifth hit in six games, he had the double a few days later, he had a multi-hit game the other day, so I mean, there, there's some things happening there as he gets more reps, but, you know, not enough where you start to think maybe there might be a, a secret sauce here that will lead him to success.
0: Of course, he's also hitting against pitchers who have been competing since February, you know, there's a lot of ways to think about it, um, but let, let's put it this way. Um, there's not,
1: I mean, I found it kind of mean, but it was true. When he stepped to the plate, you know, I was sitting with the scouts, they all started chuckling. I mean, and it's not because they're mean old crotchety folks who say, oh, he has no chance because they're biased. It's because these are guys who have watched him for four or five weeks now and have seen it and are
0: like, there's, there's just nothing here. Well, he'll look real good in a Rumble Ponies uniform at some point next year, maybe. Well, that's what was interesting. Um, You know, at the general manager
1: meetings, even Sandy Alderson, someone asked about this, like, you know, we hope he can get to a full season affiliate. So Binghamton, you know, is double A. They're not talking there. They're talking hoping he can go to Columbia. But that's going to depend on spring training. And we'll see. That's, that's you know, the Mets are not going to cut him. They made it very clear. They, they signed him. They're going to give him a shot. They're going to bring him to spring training and assign him to an affiliate at some point next year. But after that, it's going to be strictly about performance. Well, he'll look real good in the Fireflies <laughs> uniform then. Perhaps. But, uh, you know, among the other guys who are, you know, maybe more prospect heavy that I came away from, I don't want to say disappointed in, but maybe with more concern that I had previously, I actually think one guy is James Caprillian. Who I know you loved and you saw great, and it's hard because he's, you know, post surgery and, and it's not always easy to recover from an injury. The stuff is undeniable. Uh so I'll get swings and misses in the zone on three different pitches, it's all there. My issue was he worked entirely belt up and it left him, you know, up for a lot of hard hit balls, and that's why he's given up four home runs in his last thirteen innings. I mean, if you're a pitcher who works belt up even if you have elite velocity, major league hitters are going to get you. And so for me, that's where I'm like, okay, maybe pump the brakes on Caprillion where you see the radar gun and you see the occasional dirty swing and miss, and you go, oh, my goodness. But until he consistently can pound the bottom of the zone, not leave pitches up and give up, again, four home runs and stretches of 13 innings, we, you know, it might be wise to pump the
0: brakes a little bit until he shows he can do that. Fair enough. So it's is your first... Fall I said as a as a reporter favorite park you know Salt River
1: that was not built yet by the time that I had graduated ASU it was in the process of being built stunning absolutely stunning um, I mean it frankly is nicer than most minor league parks and obviously it's not the same size as some major league parks but from an amenity standpoint and a Quality of experience standpoint, it absolutely is better than quite a few major league stadiums I've been to. Uh, Which is saying something. I mean, we're not talking about. It's not built like a minor league park. It's built like a major league park with all the amenities and the setup and the press box and the outfield. It just has fewer seats. It's meant to hold minor league or major
0: league spring training.
1: Right, but even even compared to other major league spring training facilities, you look at, you know, Peoria, Scottsdale, which used to be the gem. I still think there's no there, there's a it has a much bigger feel, but in a good way. It's hmm. uh, I thought that was really prime. Um, yeah, you know, I saw a lot of a lot of good prospects, a lot of interesting prospects. I think that you know coming out of it, one of my biggest takeaways is the guys we identified as elite prospects are identified as such for a reason. It was pretty clear to see the gap between you know the Ian Haps, Labor Tours, as Christian Stewart's of the world and You know, again, as I'm as I'm watching some of these other guys, um, you know, come out and play, you know, I'm debating whether or not to name names here, because I'm not trying to insult anybody, but there's a lot of guys who, like, okay, yeah, you know, you can do some things, but there's not. It's pretty visible. It's pretty clear, and I think that was my biggest takeaway from the fall league that even
0: in the collection of quote unquote top prospects, the real top guys separate themselves. So, any takeaways from the general manager meetings which you also attended?
1: Yeah, so that was interesting on Tuesday and Wednesday. the uh, The general sense is, I would say, the international draft is definitely something on everybody's mind. It's something that people are talking about without being asked about it, and then when you ask them about it, they either do one of two things: they either say I can't comment, or they expand hugely, which generally means it's an issue that everyone's thinking about, they're just not sure, and because it's real and serious, some are hesitant to talk about it and others feel compelled to talk about it. You know, I've learned that, you know, if people and if everyone is like, oh yeah, you know, willing to talk a little bit about an issue, it's not a huge issue. They're not focused on it. But when it's either everyone's shutting their traps or everyone's having a long, you know, statement on it it's a big issue and I, I came away from the general managers meetings thinking that for all the you know stuff going on around you know with players protesting and show and trainers you know um, holding out there will be an international draft and I think it will come sooner rather than later there's just too much there's too many clubs with too much power who are openly against what goes on in the international arena. And even with that, even the guys who were talking about, the ones who you think would kind of support it, even they acknowledge there's things we have to clean up. Um, the idea that, you know, there's kind of, there's still this wild, wild west, if you will, is just not conducive to what Major League Baseball is trying to do. And we've seen them, you know, have the idea that the best team, you know, or not the best team, but you know, the team with the worst record to get the first stab at the best player, and we're going to go on down. I mean, they do consider this a, you know, people are talking about it as, oh, they're just trying to control the money, and they are, but it's also pretty clear that in the minds of a lot of the general managers, they do consider this a very serious competitive balance issue. So I think that discounting that as pure baloney is not entirely accurate either. Well, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I think uh, it's been a good fall. Like, there's a lot of guys out there who definitely are worth watching. And I, I thought it was cool to see the number of fans tick up, even the non-Tebow games. There were definitely more people in the stands around than I remember there being, you know, six, seven years ago. I think that's a very, very good thing for, for baseball and for the Arizona Fall League. And hopefully it'll continue.
0: All right. For Kyle Glazer, I'm Josh Norris. This has been another Baseball America podcast. This concludes today's Arizona Fall League podcast. Today's podcast was sponsored by Bowman. Bowman, the first place to find the game's future stars. Visit tops.com for the latest Bowman product news.